Good evening and welcome to Health Beat, the program where WDIY looks at the social determinants of health with our friends from the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health. I'm your host, Greg Caponia, and I'm joined by my co-host, Edward Meehan. Good evening, Ed. Good evening, Greg. It's uh, good to be with you, as always, and I'm really looking forward to this evening's show. Well, I understand why, because tonight our guest is Mr. Dan Boskett. For over 20 years, Mr. Boskett has been the director of the Community Action Development Corporation of Allentown, which conducts community and economic development in Allentown's urban core, focusing on helping low to moderate income residents improve their neighborhoods, open businesses, or become advocates for improving their quality of life. Some of the previous initiatives included the Upside Allentown and Main Street program for 7th Street neighborhood revitalization efforts, Start Your Business program, and technical assistance for small businesses. Dan is now focused on career path opportunities for Center City Allentown youth. On today's episode, we discuss Lehigh Valley's rich history of excellence within its black community, along with its trials, tribulations, and desired future. We look forward to this valuable discussion tonight where we will talk about health inequities, signs of progress, but also existing signs of opportunity. Dan has also served the community as the president of the Allentown NAACP. Welcome, Mr. Boskett. Glad to be here. Terrific. Dan, you grew up in Allentown, right? Uh, Yes, I did. Um, I attended uh, the Allentown School District uh, system, graduating from Durham High School, I then went to Muhlenberg College to get my bachelor's degree and then my MBA from St. Joe's. So you've seen a lot of things hopefully change for the positive, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely been some positive changes. I mean, I've been part of those changes as well over the you know the time I spent here in uh, Allentown. Sure. Um, take us back to your days as a young person. What was it like to grow up in Allentown? Well, that's a great question because when I was growing up, before the urban renewal hit, we had our own close-knit neighborhood uh, focusing on Fifth Street. My father was an entrepreneur. He had a barbershop on Fifth Street, and in our neighborhood, we had our own barbershop. We had our own uh, corner store. We had our own park. We had the Boys and Girls Club. We had our neighborhood school, the Horn School, which is now the ASD Admin Building, And so we had a pretty close-knit community at that time before urban renewal. Everybody knew everybody. And, you know, people always say it takes a village to raise a child. That was not good work. You know, the the other parents considered, you know, me their child as well as my own parents considered me, you know, as their their own child. Well, Dan, you and I probably have about the same number of birthdays. Yeah. Uh, And uh, we're of a a vintage where, as children, we experienced urban renewal. And urban renewal was, at its best, a very well-intended effort to improve substandard housing stock across the United States of America. Uh, I experienced it uh, as a child in my neighborhood. You experienced it, as you just described. In retrospect, Thinking about yourself as a child, what did that feel like when that was happening? Well, it felt like somebody was disrupting, you know, our, our way of living. And at the time, there was, you know, there was two waves of the urban renewal. I mean, the first was focused on like that fourth to fifth street area. So, so pretty much primarily everyone from the neighborhood just moved west like a couple blocks to um, Lehigh Street, where the, where the little Lehigh development is now that's being, you know, torn down and rebuilt. We moved to that neighborhood, and then, you know, we again, everybody kind of set up, you know, their shop again. 
and then uh, urban renewal came through again and wiped out that neighborhood. So then, because ideally people wanted to kind of stay close together. Again, like as I mentioned earlier, it was a close-knit uh, neighborhood growing up. So people were still wanting to try to stay together. But that second wave coming through, it dispersed the black community throughout the city. For example, my father, you know, who was a business owner, he moved to Salisbury Township. Uh, some other people moved to the south side. Some moved to the east side. And so you didn't have that one central neighborhood after the second wave of the uh, urban renewal. So it definitely impacted like what was going on. I ended up graduating from, you know, the Allentown School District and all my brothers and sisters, which there was five, all graduated from Salisbury School District. And, you know, it was the same for uh, other families as well. So, you, you know, if you think back on it, this was supposed to be well-intended. The idea was housing stock is poor. We need to do something about housing on a national level. But again, when we talk about social determinants of health and how do you improve health, we increasingly understand now that you can't take one facet of a community or one dynamic of community and work on that without touching all the other aspects of a community. So the idea of saying, well, we'll just get these folks better housing conditions was not particularly respectful of the history or the culture or the nuance of what was going on in the neighborhood that was providing a stability for you as a child. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the housing is definitely an important aspect of the social determinant of health, but there's also that family, that community of people being together, of bonding together, of sharing the, you know, the, your victories and, and your defeat so much, you know, bonding together, making sure that, uh, that, that everybody's safe and happy, nurtured. And so when you disperse the uh, community, you lose a lot of that. Dan is uh, gentrification, confused with urban renewal sometimes. Um, we're all about the same age, I'm learning. Um, <laughs> I was, growing up, I wasn't really sure what it was. I knew it was going on. But uh, it seemed like in Detroit, where I grew up, all of a sudden people said, well, they're, they're doing a lot of things down there. You know, I mean, it was, uh, and I only grew up a few miles away. Yeah, like in my view, um, urban renewal to me is when you come in, you wipe out the neighborhood, you tear it down, you rebuild. Gentrification, typically people associate that with being priced out of the neighborhood where, where you are or where you grew up, typically. Yeah, that's kind of the way I always sort of understood it was like, uh uh-oh, what's going to happen to everybody who lives in this area? So, Greg, you know, again, as we've talked about on this show many times, in order to really think how to effectively over time improve conditions that would address social determinants of health, you really have to think about the culture and the history and the context of the community you're working with and include them in a very authentic way. Otherwise, you end up with again, an unintended consequence of saying these folks need better housing, let's tear down their housing. And the diaspora of just sending people wherever else they're going to go creates disruption in the community that that is really hard to overcome. I mean, you know, Dan's experience is is an extraordinary testimony of strength to the community in Allentown and to his family in particular, but not so much for a lot of other people. So Dan, how do we stop this? Uh, Because it's still going on, isn't it? I mean, that you know, we have urban renewal, but then again, you know, you look and all of a sudden there's all these big buildings going up that cost $2,500 a month to live in. Well, yeah, I know. I don't, I don't know if you necessarily stop it. I think, the, I think from what I've seen from some of the elected officials over time and prior to, like, the big building boom downtown, they were trying to get, like, a social like benefit contract with some of the uh, developers and elected officials to say, you know, can we look at uh, mixed 
income housing so that those who were in the neighborhood can actually stay and be part of the neighborhood. I don't think that actually happened. I think we have to put more focus on if we're going to if we're going to look at displacing people, are we going to put them in a better position in terms of their housing or is there a way that they can coexist in terms of the new housing that's actually being put in place? I know that there's still voices out there that are still trying to send that message, but I don't know, you know, where it's actually landing and, and what kind of fruit it's actually going to bear. Mm-hmm. Ed, how did you meet Dan? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh we met like many, 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 many years ago. It yeah. might have been, I don't know, was it with the with the health clinic? Wasn't it with the health clinic, was it? Uh, when, I, uh, well, if you're 20 years in your position, I know yeah. before that. Yeah. So 20 plus years. I've lived in Allentown for 42 years. So I think our paths have crossed and we've, we've been involved in any number of capers together. Yeah. I think that one of the, I, I think our paths crossed when we were doing uh, community actions done like the development in inner city over time um, using, you know, the state tax credit program. And I think that the, the rider pool was part of our steering committee group. Uh, when we first started this process now over like 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan, you're, you're a real educated guy. And uh, uh, so, th- you know, there's a lot of options for a person with your education, yet you come back to Allentown and decide to jump into making the community better. You know, there's got to be some, uh, you know, obvious uh, desire and uh, uh, feeling to, to help the community there uh, versus running off to New York and getting a high paying job. <laughs> well, yeah, I had an opportunity to do that, but uh, I I, but I feel that you know I feel some obligation at Allentown. This is where I grew up. This is where my roots are. I still have family here. I have relatives here. Um, I've been attending you know Union Baptist Church since I was a child. They're located in Center City. I worship there, and you know what you do when you're when you're kind of your background is kind of faith based. You know you're focusing on your fellow man. You're not really focusing on, you know, how much wealth building, so so to speak, but you're focusing on, like, like what can I give back? Because at the end of the day, that's what people are going to know you for. Dan, we, we uh, and, and I appreciate you mentioning the faith base, because I think that's one of the things I, I uh, appreciate and respect in the work that you do from a faith-based perspective from your congregation, uh, which is really important. You know, we've been talking about urban renewal writ large and then what the implications were in Allentown and particularly in, in your neighborhood as a child, two neighborhoods as a child growing up. But the, the fact of the matter is that urban renewal impacted black and brown communities more than it did the majority. Uh, oh, definitely. And, and that was just a reality. Again, let's kindly call it an unintended consequence. But the fact of the matter is we are confronted still in looking at social determinants of health knowing that there are disparities that are along racial and ethnic lines. So we can look back 50, 60 years ago and say, boy, those folks were dumb. They really were doing urban renewal and look what they did. They destroyed communities. They didn't respect the history. They didn't respect the culture. We're so much smarter than that. And yet we're still confronted with these disparities. What are the lessons learned? What what should we be doing? But what are the takeaways from things that we say, uh-oh, we tried that, let's be a little bit smarter about it going forward? What are the kind of essential elements that you would look for to say, these are the things that we can do that would, that would address the factors that influence health? Well, to me, the first factor that I see is access to health care. I mean, you've got to have access. You've got to do uh, what I can call pre- preventative health care. 
You've got to have access so you can get like an annual physical, an annual lab test. You've got to be able to have somebody who's in your medical profile who knows your history and who can actually work with you and also your family. People, when they go to the doctor, they ask you all those questions about your family history and people don't realize how important that really is. I think also nutrition itself, like, you know, you are what you eat. And I think that one of the biggest social determinants of health is actually that, being much smarter in terms of nutrition itself. If you see many of the food banks and food pantries right now, besides just giving out food, they offer information on nutrition and what's good for you and and how you use the food that you're actually getting. So I think that looking at the preventative care, the nutrition, uh, the ongoing, you know, maintenance of your actual health, and then explain to people what it is that they need to do to be healthy because you can't really operate if 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 you're not healthy. So to me, those are important aspects of what we need to look at as social determinants of health. Dan, is good food accessible to the areas that we're talking about? For example, I grew up uh, not too far away from Flint, Michigan. And at one time, there were no supermarkets in the entire city. And I don't, I mean, this is an expression. I mean, all the major food chains pulled out. I think they've gone back in, but uh, since the water crisis. But is there accessible, easy to get to food? I would say, I mean, I would say yes. If you look at Center City, and I work in Center City, you've got, you know, a large supermarket that's right on 7th Street, Supremo's. I think you've got, I think it's called C-Town, that's at, um, at that 4th and Tillman. Um, if you go down to Front Street, you have the Elias Market. They've got fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, fresh meats. And those are all, with, with, all, all within walking distance. One of the things you'll see as a result of, of being in of residents living in the urban cores, you see shopping carts all over the city because, you know, a lot of people don't have cars. So they go to the mm-hmm. supermarket, they shop, and they take the shopping cart with them. So the supermarkets go out and they actually, they actually round those up on a daily basis. I'd say that we've done a, you know, a much better job of providing access in terms of what's available to residents who, who live in Center City. Also, the one that I wanted to mention about the food banks as well, they've gotten a lot smarter in terms of how they distribute food. In the past, you would just show up and they would give you a bag or a box of whatever they had. Now they're actually allowing you to actually pick and choose at some of the food pantries in terms of what it is that you actually want, want to select and what you'll actually use. So they're more efficient in terms of actually how they, how they hand the food out. So I think that given the current situation, I think that the environment, I think, is good in terms of what people can access and how readily accessible it is as well. And, you know, I can't say much about pricing. Pricing is a, you know, factor of, of, of what it is, the economy and inflation, so to speak. But again, people do, do have access. Ed, you know, you've known Dan for a long time here. And, and uh, what, when you as the, the executive director of the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health, uh, when you get together, what, what makes you guys scratch your head and say, really, not still going on? Uh, one of the expressions we use at the Pool Institute for Health is it's a long game. Uh, it is a long game, and the, the success of this work is measured in years and decades. Everything Dan just described is, is, uh, is correct, and yet the work is not done. There are people who uh, still having trouble making their dream come true. There are folks who 
could use a little more support. Uh, some of the questions having to do with access or access to food have to do with kitchen table in, uh, issues having to do with income, making choices about food. So there's a lot of work to be done. I think, uh, again, being respectful to the community and including the community in all aspects of work as you think about planning it so we don't repeat the history of doing unto a community is important. And so, you know, when I talk with a, with a gentleman like Dan, I'm saying, you know, you know this town I, in ways that I will never know, and I will res I respect that tremendously. It's, it's super important. And then we, when we get together and scratch our heads, the conversation is not unlike what we're doing right now. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, boy, there's work to be done. How are we going to keep going? So when, you talk about, so when you're talking about social determinants of health, one of the things that I, I always look at, and, we talked, and you mentioned this earlier when you're doing the intro that I'm focusing on youth now, if you look at the fact that your quality of life is tied to your income level at some point, your income level is tied to the education and training that you receive for employment purposes. Now, we we're, in, we're in the mindset now that not every child needs to go to college. I mean, there's great, you know, non-college, you know, based careers that people can access that actually pay more than, pay, you know, generate more income than individuals who've gone to college. And so ideally what we want to do is to try to convince our youth to take advantage of all of the uh, career opportunities that exist so that as they access those opportunities, they can uh, then again convert that education and training into what is income-based, and that in turn affects their uh, quality of life, not only for themselves but, but for their families as well. So I think that is an important, I believe, social determinant of definitely health and having not only a healthy individual, but a, a healthy c community as well. Greg, I believe that Dan, in the last uh, couple of minutes, has touched on all the major things that the Institute is concerned about. Housing is an issue, education is an issue, uh, food and nutrition is an issue, and implicit in all of that is, is the well-being of a community, having a stable, solid community that, that families can feel safe in and that kids can grow up and play in and, and have a good life. So I, I think we're encapsulating the work writ large uh, while we're also saying, you know, there's uh, there's been success, uh, but there's still a great deal more work to be done. So for both of you gentlemen, as we're uh, approaching Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I mean, you know that this is a long game. Tell me how you keep your cool. Uh, well, I, you know, me personally, what I do is I do a lot of listening. So, I mean, I, you know, I talk when asked, but I do a lot of listening as well. So I want to hear what people have to say. I want to hear what people, how they feel, what they want to do, what their plans are. But ideally, you know, Dr. King's, you know, his dream was that everybody was, was equal in the sense that they had the opportunity. I mean, we're not going to be born equal or, you know, our lifestyles are going to necessarily be equal, our income levels aren't necessarily going to be equal, but we all have the opportunity for things that exist that we can take take advantage of to help us move forward in life. And I think, you know, we have to continue to put that message out there. I think we need to continue to listen to our youth and what they have to say because their conditions as they're growing up today um, are a lot different than ours. I mean, in fact, you just heard recently somebody was proposing that you not allow students under 18 to have a social media account because youth are reacting to how many likes they get or, you know, likes they don't get, and that's affecting their their mental health. So they live in a totally different environment than we did growing up. So we have to be cognizant of how they're feeling and what's affecting them. So I think that's an important aspect as well that we need to um, keep in mind as we're trying to move forward. 
Ed, you've been playing this long game for a long time <laughs> and uh, doing some terrific work. Give me, give me something to be hopeful about. Greg, I, I, most folks don't know this. I worked and lived in Montgomery, Alabama for three and a half years, uh, working, doing community-based work statewide on teenage pregnancy. And I had the honor and the privilege of meeting a lot of the folks who were involved in the bus boycott, uh, who were involved in the march. Uh, and uh, very often faith-based, but I, I got to meet Mr. E.D. Nixon. I worked with Ms. Inez Baskin. And a lot of that work that I learned was, for me, the bus boycott and the Selma March were way, 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 way in the past. For them, it was yesterday. And that taught me a lot about how to think about this work. And so I have hope and optimism that we just keep plugging away. Dan, what what's your local dream? Uh, my local dream is that all of our youth um, are successful in whatever endeavor they want to to take up. We're currently working with youth, I mean, not only college-bound youth, but youth that are just taking training and not necessarily going to college. We're trying to expose youth to careers in the creative, creative economy, we call it, in terms of art, music, dance. Um, and so, ideally, my dream is that we can continue to expand the horizons of the youth who in Allentown. I'm focused on Allentown. So, you know, my ideal is that we can continue to expose our youth to, to what's available to them. You know, many of, the, many of the youth that are here in the city have never actually been outside the city limits, if you can believe that or not. I mean, going to Dorney Park was the first time experience for kids in middle school. And so you have to evaluate where the youth are and where you would like for them to go and continue to expand their horizons so that they can then make an informed selection or just be, I mean, you don't know what it is you don't know. And so it's important to take first-generation college students, for example, on college tours so they can see what college is all about, as opposed to growing up in a family where you're like the third-generation person going to college. So again, you know, my hope and my hope and dream for the immediate future is that we continue to expand the horizons of our youth so that they can, I mean, and it sounds kind of trite, but, you know, you've heard the expression, be all they can be, and let them make the uh, selection uh, that's best for them. Dan, you have a local dream, and then is it different for the entire country? Your thoughts or, or not? I would say not. I would say not. I mean, to me, the I mean, to me, the local dream I see should be the dream for the entire country. I think that if you listen, and you know, and we, you know, connect with people throughout the state and throughout the country, I think everybody wants the same thing at the end of the day. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily unique here. What's going to be unique is how you make it happen. Talk to the local parents of today's youth and tell them something that you want them to know. So I tell parents this all the time. The parents are the you're going to be the number one advocate for your for your child. You are always going to be the number one advocate for your child, regardless of of age and where they are and when and and what they're doing. But it's important that you don't abdicate that responsibility and turn it over to someone else, thinking that they're going to do it for you. So I think it's important that the parents realize that they, in, in the lives of their children, they need to always remain number one. And if Dr. King were available to give Allentown a grade or some type of evaluation, uh, what do you think he'd say? Well, it depends on what we're actually evaluating. 
I'm not I'm not a politician, but you can't answer an open ended question like that without knowing what it is we're actually talking about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm 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 <laughs> shuddering at the thought of a great <laughs> uh, I would I would say uh, great work, uh, room for improvement. Yeah, it is a time for reflection, and uh, we want people to understand what we're reflecting upon. And sometimes I feel like we get a little bit away from that. Right. Well, Greg, let me one thing here to mention. This is this is extremely important for everybody who lives in the Lehigh Valley. We cannot have these kids left behind. We right. need them. We need them badly. We all need them. We all need quality housing for everybody. We all need equity and health for everybody. It's in everybody's enlightened self-interest to pay attention. I agree with that. Dan, we have a few minutes left. Take me back to a, uh, a memory that you might have growing up that maybe there's been a positive change. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I think that I remember going. I mentioned I mentioned healthcare. I mm-hmm. think that um, the healthcare uh, profession has changed a lot. When I was growing up, you very rarely ever saw any health professionals of color. Now it's changed a lot. I mean, it's changed a lot. I mean, in the Lehigh Valley, it's changed. Uh, my son and daughter both live in, in the Maryland D.C. area. Down there, you know, primarily most of the health professionals are people of color. So. I would say that the the change in the diversity in terms of healthcare and and that's important because people relate to people who look like them and that cuts down one barrier immediately when you're talking about healthcare and providing healthcare to a typically an underserved population. Ed, the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health continues to drill into these situations. Uh, what's next? Oh, I think what's next is we keep focusing uh, at the neighborhood level on things that will enable families to have good quality of life and how do we address the social determinants of health, realizing that that there are short-term things, programmatic things that can be done and will be done this year, but the payoff uh, happens over multiple years of time. There are three-year-olds and four-year-olds right now who need to be in quality early childhood education. They need to be on grade reading level at fourth grade so that they can pass algebra in ninth grade, so they can graduate high school, so they can go on to higher education or career, so that they can take care of Dan and I when we get older. <laughs> Dan, tell me one more one more question. Tell me about a teacher who had a big impact on your career. A uh, teacher had a big impact on my career. Um, there was a lady when I was in eighth grade, her name was Mrs. Chappelle. Well, I actually went to central grade school, and I was actually a junior high when I was in the Allentown School District, if you can remember junior highs we had before they yeah. had the school concept. Uh, but anyway, she motivated us to stretch ourselves. I mean, not just giving us regular assignments, but we would always get extra assignments. And so the concept that she instilled in us was just don't do what's required. Do more. Just don't settle for satisfactory. Just don't settle for okay. But you want to you know, push yourself to be to be better than better than you think you are. But push yourself to that next level so so that you're actually growing. Good advice for all of us, Mr. Dan Boskett. I would like to thank you for joining us this evening on Healthbeat. As always, Edward Meehan. Thank you very much. Thank you, Greg. Yep, thank you for inviting me as well. Enjoy it. You bet. Join us for Health Beat next month, where we will be joined by a new prominent leader 
in the Allentown community, one who now calls the Allentown School District her home. I'm your host, Greg Caponia, and you have been listening to Health Beat on WDIY. Thank you and have a great evening. <music>